Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. And tonight, we will be delving into not one, but two of the new High Republic books. We will be doing A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland and Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. For the children! (laughs) I have plenty of thoughts about that. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad Schonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show, especially this week. Like, these High Republic books are brand new, and we're going to spoil the hell out of them, uh, so you've been warned. We're also going to spoil maybe anything else Star Wars, up to and including the most recent season of Mandalorian, recent comics, other High Republic books that have come out so far, so... That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, anything? It hasn't been too busy. And a follow-up from the last episode that we have, Alan, and again, I can't say it, Tudic, isn't that how you say it? Tudic. Alan Tudic came back and said, just kidding, I'm totally going to be in Andor, just not the first (laughs) season. So that lasted all of two weeks, which we assumed (laughs) was the case. Season finale. There's no season finale. Yeah, yeah. they don't want to come out and say it. In action figure news, they have finally... One of the the worst kept secrets is Star Wars Black will be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Lucasfilm. And so they have kind of unveiled a lot of the big first Friday stuff. We are getting Qui-Gon, Mace Windu, Battle Droid, Jar Jar, all on episode one card backs. They look good. They're fine. I mean, Qui-Gon was one a lot of people missed, so I'm really glad he's coming out. But we think throughout the year, at certain intervals... They're going to do a little line like this for each movie, which will be really cool. I don't want any of those. Maybe Qui-Gon. I might buy Qui-Gon. And the Mace Windu looks really good, too. The Jar Jar is actually an amazing figure. Listen, I'm not a hater, but I'm not a lover either. So yeah, I don't I don't need it. Like, I don't I don't hate on Jar Jar. I don't like making fun of Jar Jar, but I also don't need images of him all around my house. The uh, Bad Batch wave is hitting now. People have started receiving it. It looks mm. real good. So that's the two Bad Batch, the Soldier, Asajj Ventress, and Bo-Katan are in that wave. And they all look great. So keep your eye out. They should be hitting pegs anytime now. I pre-ordered a Bo-Katan. I haven't heard anything about it yet. Did you pre-order from Pulse? Amazon. And you probably will get her pretty soon then. They're starting to ship out. Uh, what else is in the news? Hugh McGregor, they have confirmed they're going to film Obi-Wan in late spring. And apparently that town being all mad was totally a bunch of BS. <laughs> so, you know. How many times, I have, to, I have to interject here. How many times can we hear, Obi-Wan's about to start shooting? Yeah, well, at least this time we know they've built sets because you can look at them. It seems That's like true. every bit of news about Obi-Wan is always they're about to. <laughs> like everything's about to. And then our two biggest news that was very interesting one apparently during the fourth quarter of this year they are going to re-release a new star wars game or not re-release but release a new one ea is going to put it out apparently it's a first person shooter they've been working on for a couple of years that no one knows about they said it's a medium-sized game so about the size about the length of squadrons but it's built on the unreal engine so just like fallen order is so it should be good we'll see when they announce it um i'm guessing a may the fourth announcement is medium size just code for 40 bucks? Yeah, that's what people okay. are thinking. Like a yeah. 40 buck, like eight to 10 hour, kind of like Miles Morales is for the PS5. 
where it's not like a full game, but it's and I kind of like that. I don't need forty hour games sometimes. I I already gave up on Cyberpunk and I was enjoying it. I just just like God, there's so much more to do. I can't I can't do this right now. Yeah. But for me, the big surprise was apparently the Bad Batch is going to come out this spring. What? Really? Yeah, it is apparently ready to get that. What? And the official like uh, Disney D23 website indicates that it's going to be out in spring. So after Falcon, right? Because two weeks after WandaVision's over, if you're not watching WandaVision or by the time this comes out, WandaVision will be almost over, but it's amazing. Right. After WandaVision, I think two weeks later, Falcon and Winter Soldier drops. Correct. So maybe two weeks after that, we get Bad Batch. Yeah, I can't remember if they've actually, I know they haven't given a date for Hawkeye yet, but I want to say Hawkeye is later in. I think Hawkeye's still shooting. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, unless they're shooting season two already, Haley Steinfeld put up a shot of her on Instagram with her bow. Yeah. On set. So I think they're still shooting that. Yeah, my kind of guess was Falcon comes out and then Black Widow comes out and they're kind of lining up with movies. You know, that was one of the big early criticisms of Disney Plus was... Not enough original content. Yeah, once Mandalorian was over, it was like, all right. But that's about it. That's the all big news we have besides all the High Republic stuff continuing to come out and we're kind of hitting a stride where books are going to be coming out regularly again, which I'm excited about. I'll cut this if it if it's nothing, but was there word of a beef between Gina Carano and Pedro Pascal? Because Pedro has a trans sister. I haven't seen anything between them yet. I don't know if you have. I saw she said something again, and I just, the timing of it is weird. She said something again. Not weird. I mean, it's very purposeful, I think. She said something again, and then he showed more pictures of his sister. Right. Without directly addressing her. Mm. That's going to make filming. Although she might be going to the other show. So I don't think she's on Mandalorian next year. And um, I don't even know if she's on a show next year. We'll find out. Depends on how much she can keep her mouth shut. Yeah. Because there comes a point. There does come a point. It's true. All right. Well, speaking of the High Republic, Beth, what do we got this week for our first book? The Murder Children book. <laughs> We are going to start with A Test of Courage, which is a book for kids. I want everybody to remember, a book for kids. I already disagree. <laughs> it's intended for kids. It may not be for the kids, but it's intended for the kids. So the isolationist Dalna sector might be ready to join the Republic, something the Nihil don't want, for reasons I haven't uncovered yet. Maybe it skipped me, I don't know. Two saboteurs are sent aboard a ship carrying Dalnan representatives, several Jedi, and hundreds of other beings making their way to the Starlight Beacon. These two lone Nihil are so very, very effective that only four out of hundreds of beings, only four, survive the destruction. In this book for kids, we start out with the death of hundreds of people just getting exploded. It really front loads a lot of murder. Like right off the bat. Master Douglas just blows up. Rest in peace, Master Douglas. Poor Master Douglas. So our four survivors are new Jedi Knight, 15-year-old Vernestra. So you know we're in the past if they're making 15-year-olds knights. Please don't refer to her as Vern. <laughs> Vern. Okay, I'm sorry, Vern. 
Imri, the Padawan of the now deceased Master Douglas, the son of the Downland Ambassador, and an irritatingly precocious 11-year-old inventor and her droid. Using a maintenance shuttle that shouldn't be able to work, the group managed to land on an uninhabited and very hostile moon. The two boys fight their grief and anger, the 11-year-old tinkers with her freaky droid, and the 15-year-old Jedi Knight tries to hold everyone together. The two Nihils somehow track them down, even when nobody else in the galaxy seems to be able to. And the two boys go off on a vengeance mission. Which, of course, goes horribly wrong, and then they have to be saved by an 11-year-old girl and a 15-year-old Jedi Knight. They are then eventually rescued, and everyone goes off to try to live happily ever after, and the 15-year-old takes this poor, damaged weirdo who kind of reminds me of like a, if Neville Longbottom were a Jedi. Yeah, he's got a little, yeah, you're not, that's okay, yeah. She takes him as her Padawan, so I'm assuming there'll be more to that story because that's going to be an interesting dynamic of trying to train someone who's only a few years younger than you are. But to be fair, she's pretty tough for a 15-year-old, and she's pretty damn strong in the Force. Oh, no, Vern's great. She builds a lightsaber whip. She does. She has a lightsaber whip. So yes, I enjoyed this book very much, but I just have a hard time seeing how this is geared towards kids with all the death, other than the fact that the main characters are kids. What is it technically? Is it technically like eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old? Is that what they're aiming at? And it's not even like, I mean, there can be death in kids' books. But, like, they spend a lot of time being like, and we stared into the darkness and sensed no life. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah, super dark. There's a, yeah, and there's a lot in this book about a kid who just watched his dad basically die in front of him and uh, is dealing with that the entire time. <laughs> uh... it, it does. It, it was shockingly. I'm not, not shockingly. I mean, Star Wars has always dealt with big massive you know genocides there's a lot of genocides in star wars but like it did feel because i mean you had already read it and i was talking to you about it. i was like oh yeah i just got to the part where the ship exploded and you're like yeah it it keeps getting that dark yep. it keeps being that violent <laughs> and you're like how is it possible like they do start off the story by killing hundreds of people douglas douglas these new names are cracking me up kevin and <laughs> douglas and Ver- so many of them are really good and then you get a douglas and a kevin Hey, Kevin's awesome. Don't even. <laughs> I'm not making fun of Kevin. Love Kevin. With Vern the whole time, I just kept thinking Ernest goes to Star Wars. And like, it had some epic. <laughs> know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> like... Every time they said Vern, I heard Jim Varney yep. in my head. Me I too. heard it every single time. Um, but she's a cool character. I, I like this idea of this kind of overachiever. You know, she's she's that kid who graduates high school at 14. Yeah. I liked Vern a lot. So did I miss where they gave an explanation as to why the Nihil don't want these people to join the Republic? Yes. Or did they just... Okay. Because the Downland sector, they don't want the Republic coming into the Downland because they use those lanes to uh, pirate. So the idea Um, was they blow up the ship and make it the Republic look bad and down and says, never mind. And make the area look unsafe, maybe for the Republic as well. I thought the Nihil could create their own lanes and do whatever they wanted. Well, it's just, they run stuff through there. All right. Fair enough. They're making the nail like look pretty competent as far as like uh, a force that, you know, could cause some problems for the Jedi, which a lot of times Star Wars books have had issues with. 
I think they're legit. And I think there's more of that in the next book. In Light of the Jedi, like I liked the Nile and I was like, okay, I see. But they were just kind of bad guy. But now that we're a few books in and, and a couple of comics in, I'm like, okay, I see. They're legitimately scary. Yeah. So once again, obviously the Jedi during this time are way more powerful than we have ever seen. <laughs> You've got a Padawan who can somehow sense a planet with some life on it from like a system away. <laughs> and, and not even human life. Or, or sentient life he's just sensing all these weird little monkey creatures yeah yeah it's like it's like everybody's like leveled up in the force unleashed yeah it really is <laughs> we're in this era where it does seem like the jedi have a stronger and healthier connection to the force even mm -hmm. it's not even just that it's more powerful it seems like a healthier attitude they understand the balance they they're not right. trying to diminish the dark side or, or pretend it doesn't exist like they understand it has to be there what's more and more apparent with this high republic stuff is it definitely is a reaction to not a critique of but a reaction to the prequel era jedi by putting some distance in between them they can have a little bit of a carte blanche to show the jedi order the way they would like to see them presented while also giving us clues as to how they became the kind of um bureaucratic mess that they are uh, by the time the prequels roll around. But I that's definitely seems to be a mission statement. It, it wouldn't be surprising if that was the first mission statement was to like, let's show them, let's show the Jedi how we imagine them as kids. And we'll talk about this even more in the second book, but they are missing some pretty big warning signs that something is going wrong. Like when she's like, yeah, the force told me to build this light whip. I know it's really a dark side thing, but eh, the force told me to do it. So I'm going to go ahead and get down with that. Like you see more and more like of these Jedi who are obviously being somehow either influenced by the dark side or the dark is encroaching. And they're just like, eh, we're going to go with this and see what happens. So I think we're going to see a reaction to what's going on to get us to Mace and Qui-Gon Could that. that be because we're living in a time where the Jedi are more individualistic? And so, you know, yeah, the light whip thing, you know, that's considered a dark side thing. But in this vibe where these Jedi are a little more hippie-ish almost, someone could be like, yeah, it is. But, you know, that's her own way. And it just seems to be things are a little more lax, I'd say, about the rules during this time period in, in, a, in a way that I like. And I think if this was the only time they've kind of done something like this in the High Republic so far, I would think that. But there's too many little details of like... Things are starting to slip through. Well, that's what I'm saying is, can it be both? Can it be that attitude? Yeah. Is part of the reason why they're not seeing these signs. Because they're all like, yeah, things are groovy, man. Things are groovy. Oh, yeah. Well, there, there hasn't been Sith forever. Let's head on down to the basement. We're going to see that in the next one. Like, <laughs> whoa, hold up now. <laughs> yeah, I like this book, though. I thought it was entertaining. There's a little bit of a survival adventure aspect to it where they're trapped in the cave. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a fun adventure, but I, I'm with you guys. The body counts pretty high. I mean, it's an eight book for eight year olds where at the end they're on acid rain planet engaging in guerrilla <laughs> warfare and like throwing bombs. And I was like, I mean, YA, OK, but yeah. like this is a little kid book. Yeah, I think there's less death in the YA book. Yeah, there totally is. Yeah, there is. Well, except till the end. Then there's lots of death. <laughs> And before we get to the next book, I mean, I read just because I got it for my kids. I read The Great Jedi Rescue, which is a it doesn't even say that doesn't even give an author on the cover, by the way. 
doesn't even have the, an author's name on the cover, which is funny, which is a kid's, um, oh, it's actually written by Kevin Scott, who's writing the comics, right? Yeah. Who wrote uh, Jedi Lost and is write, writing the next big High Republic novel, right? Yep. It is a kid's book. It's like for three, four-year-olds picture book. And it is basically the, the great disaster rescue at Hestal from the first book from Light of the Jedi from the beginning to the end of the rescue told with a lot less attention paid to the billions of dead. It's a, it's a cute little book. My kids haven't really dug into it because although, I mean, it's got Burry on the cover, so I'm sure they're going to pick it up at some point and go, Ooh, Wookiee with a lightsaber. Although for a book made for three-year-olds, there is a lot of death in it. If you actually read it. All right. So this is going to be a little long, but I'm the editor. So suck it up. Claudia Gray's into the dark is another facet in the, kaleidoscopic salvo that is this phase of the high republic taking place before during and after light of the jedi gray introduces us to a new group of heroes who experience the great disaster in a different way than loden burry avar and of course kevin do we begin with the great jedi master jora molly and her padawan wreath silas chasing some pirates through the skies of coruscant this is in no way like the chase scene in attack of the clones except it kind of is and is kind of better uh, again, with the High Republic, it's good to see Jedi doing good Jedi stuff. Soon after, Wreath, who is more of a scholar and a bookworm than a warrior, is dismayed when his master tells him that they will be transferring to the Starlight Beacon, the outer rim outpost the Jedi are building as a diplomatic and strategic foothold to the galactic frontier and the systems beyond. While this sounds great and important at all, Wreath believes that he would best serve the Order kind of Jocasta newing it up in the Jedi archives and gets pretty whiny about it, but Master Molly believes it will be good for Wreath to see more of the galaxy. Before she departs for the station ahead of time, Jorah leaves Wreath with a riddle having to do with a bridge made of kyber crystals. The answer is both baffling and painfully obvious, and honestly gives us a bit of a yeah, duh moment later on. Weeks later, Wreath is ready to depart from Coruscant, off on his new adventure, to which he is not looking forward to at all. Along with him are Jedi Orla Jorani, who has recently declared herself a Wayseeker, which is kind of a Jedi version of a Ronin, with dreams of roaming the galaxy in her own ship, doing good deeds when they come her way, and putting some distance between her and some of the masters on the council with whom she disagrees. There is also Master Komak Vitus, a scholar not unlike Wreath, who seems to be carrying a lot of weight on his shoulders, but don't worry, we'll have some flashbacks to tell us why. And then there's the best character, the dashing Jedi Knight. Des Raiden, who is not at all like Rail Avaros, but is also kind of like Rail Avaros. Actually, I like Des a lot more than Rail, but it does back up Claudia Grace's premise from Master and Apprentice that Padawans that have the same master often end up with a relationship that is not unlike Dick Grayson and whoever the current Robin is. <laughs> we will call this the Nightwing effect. But Des is awesome. He's basically Anakin Skywalker without the mommy issues whose only flaw is that he chases adventure and excitement, and we learned in 1980 that a Jedi shouldn't do that. Tim Drake slash Wreath really looks up to Dez, who is kind of the exact opposite of him in every way, other than the fact they both had the same master. Instead of taking a, you know, Republic shuttle to make the trip to Starlight Beacon, the Jedi board a vessel called, ready for it? The Vessel. An independent transport run by the Bind Guild. Because apparently the Jedi outsource their transportation. They have all these ships. I don't understand. Anyway. Uh, the ship is captained by Leox Gyasi and his co-pilot Afi Hollow, whose stepmom runs the Bind Guild, which is not exactly like Zori Bliss's mom running the Spice Runners of Kajimi, but is an awful lot like Zori Bliss's mom running the Spice Runners of Kajimi, except the Bind Guild turns out actually runs Spice. <laughs> and their navigator Geode, who is a rock. That's it's a, He's just a rock. And he ends up being the weirdest and probably, in my opinion, the hackiest 
part of the book. On the way to Starlight Beacon, Leox has to rip the vessel out of hyperspace to avoid a collision with the Legacy's Run, which we find out is also a Bind Guild ship, and as we already know, the center of the Great Disaster. In order to exit hyperspace quickly, Geode has to select the closest pre-programmed destination in their nav computer, and they end up in a section of space that no one recognizes. They discover an abandoned space station there, built by an ancient alien race who are not the Rakata, although it is perilously close to a dying star that keeps belching out giant solar flares. Although, it's going to be there in like 250 years when Snoke uses it as his bachelor pad, so maybe I misunderstood the condition of the place, but I thought it was kind of perilous, but the Jedi and the crew of the vessel land on the station, which they immediately discover is overgrown with weird plant life. They give refuge to a few more ships in the area that have been stranded as well, including some very surly figures, and are forced to stand up to some of them as they attempt to pillage the station. Wreath, who has never killed anyone, has to cut off a pirate's arm to save the life of a spacer girl named Nan, who is my vote for the worst name in the book, because the only people I've ever known named Nan were 94, had hard candy in the bottom of their pocketbooks, and actually used the word pocketbooks. Wreath is upset by the violence he has to commit, which confused me because I've seen a lot of Star Wars and I'm pretty sure they taught dismemberment freshman year at the temple. Wreath and Nan start up a friendship that kind of turns into flirting. Uh, she asks all about the Jedi and whether or not they can have sex. And really seems to, and they actually used the word sex, which we'll get back to that. I don't know if that's Star Wars first or not. It really seems to be digging on Wreath, but the Padawan is steadfast in his vow and barely considers the notion. And while this is going on, we get throughout the book flashbacks to 25 years before when Orla and Komak were Padawans. I'm just going to go through it all at once pretty quickly. Orla, Komak, and their masters crash land on their way to settle a dispute between two planets with unpronounceable names. Komak's master is killed. They fight some big snake things. And in their attempt to rescue the kidnapped leaders... Of these two warring worlds, one of the leaders is killed while saving the life of the other, which ends up creating a peace between the two planets. It's been a quarter century since this has happened, and apparently Comac has not yet gotten over Macho Grande. Oh, I don't think I'll ever get over Macho Grande. And it is still haunting him, which, once you read the entire story, seems a bit of an overreaction to a situation in which he did his very best, but you gotta give your characters pathos, so I get it. Since they arrived at the station, all the Jedi have been having that something-something dark side feeling and somehow track it to a quartet of statues that they surmise contains some sort of evil within them. While exploring the lower depths of the station, Dez fails his role to check for traps and is pulled into a chamber and incinerated. No! So we think. This is the time I almost threw my Kindle across the room in grief. <laughs> Later, Wreath and Nan come back down to the lower levels having a hard time believing that Dez is really dead, and discover that no, he wasn't incinerated. He was sucked out of an airlock into the void instead. So we think. Also, Affy finds some madmen hobo code graffiti in the station that proves that the Bind Guild pilots have used it as a waypoint or something and determines that someone is out to screw over her stepmom. She becomes obsessed with this, and I will have to admit, I did not. After a while, they get word that the hyperspace lanes are opening back up. Did I mention that the Chancellor's decision to close down the lanes is why they're kind of stuck there? I don't know if I mentioned that or not. And the Jedi make a plan. They use some sort of ritual binding thing to move the four evil statues onto the vessel and take them back to Coruscant. Before leaving, Wreath says goodbye to Nan, who is staying behind with the old man she travels with for a little while to complete repairs on her ship. The Jedi return to Coruscant only to discover that Wreath's master, super badass Jedi Jorah Mali, has been killed fighting the Nile, which we knew because we read Light of the Jedi, and we knew it was coming, but it kind of still felt bad, man. Wreath is devastated and sees a holo of a Nile ship, and it looks very familiar, and it hits him. Nan is a Nile. 
Nan Denial, by the way, is the name of my least favorite children's book. The Jedi take the four evil statues down to the secret temple under the Jedi temple, the one that used to be a Sith temple. So that's still canon, which is cool, and figure out that they done messed up. The statues don't contain the dark side. The statues were on the station holding back the dark side, holding back something evil, which they assume has now been unleashed upon the galaxy because of their mistake. So Orla and Komak want to go back to the station to replace the idols. Wraith wants to go back and find Nan and what's his name to make them pay for being Nile. And Affy wants to go back because she found out her mom was using indentured servants as pilots and then her parents were amongst them and were killed using the station because it's dangerous and Affy wants to find more information so she can use it to blackmail her stepmoms. Honestly, this part got really exhausting <laughs> and I'm not sure I understand all of it, but it does what it needs to do, which is get all of our characters wanting to at the same time go back to the station altogether, which worked out so well for that season of Lost. We have to go back. Uh, this is running long. Um, when they return to the station, they find out that the Nil have indeed arrived at Nan's call. The good guys sneak onto the station and find out that the evil they unleashed by moving the statues are these carnivorous, angry plant tree warriors that have been dormant for a long time and have been hiding amongst the vegetation. Oh, and it was the Sith that trapped them there in the first place, although we really don't get any more into that. Orla and Komak fight them, and it turns out they're pretty tough for a bunch of ill-tempered Ents. At the same time, Wreath discovers that the thing that killed Dez wasn't an incinerator and it wasn't an airlock, but a hyperspace pod pre-programmed to shoot someone, this time Wreath, across the galaxy to another world also inhabited by these tree warrior guy things. There he finds that Dez is alive, Yippee! which made me happier than watching Fox News cancel Lou Dobbs. He's pretty effed up, though, poisoned and tortured, and they hop back into the hyperspace pod, back to the station, this time with the tree guys. Okay, all right, fine. They're actually called the Dengear, hot on their tails. At the station, chaos. The Jedi manage to place the statues back, and that shuts the Dengear down, but then the Nile hear the commotion, and they come, and then Affy throws a thermal detonator at the Nile, and then Dez gets back just in time for Orla to tell him that now they have to destroy the statues that they just put back into place so they can unleash the Dengear again and hope that they and the Nile will keep each other busy fighting, which is a familiar strategy for anyone who has ever roped a dragon into an outpost of Stormcloaks in Skyrim. Wraith sabotages the hyperspace pod system, so neither the Nil or the Dengear can use it. Nan, the Nile, gets the drop on Wraith, and they get kind of a Jon Snow, Ygret thing, but he gets away and she lives, so I'm sure there's no way they'll ever meet again, and by no way I mean of course they will. Leox shows off the medicinal properties of spice, and I for one would like to welcome Claudia Gray to the Legalize It movement. <laughs> Wraith kills a bunch of people by venting them out into the void, like a bunch of people. Wraith is then saved by Geode, who to this point has been nothing but a rock, but ends up being that like little Yakuza guy on The Simpsons that Homer was obsessed with that knew was going to do something cool. But Marge, that little guy hasn't done anything yet. Look at him. He's going to do something. And you know it's going to be good. They all return home. Even though it was an unsanctioned mission, the second mission, not the first mission, the Jedi Council don't punish our heroes because like I said last episode, this seems to be a Jedi Order just full of Qui-Gon Jinns. Dez, traumatized and having found his connection to the Force waning, decides to go off to some Jedi planet where all they do is meditate for decades, but if he isn't coming back, I'm going to be very upset. Affy gets her mom arrested, <laughs> and uh, she and Leox decide to go into business for themselves, and Orla finally buys her ship and sets out to seek some ways, and Wreath uh, asks Komak to be his new master, and he says yes. And it turns out the Starlight Beacon is like built in between those two warring planets from 25 years ago, and the woman that got saved in that mission turns up at the dedication, so I guess it's all significant. 
And then at the very end of the book, Nan goes back to Martian Rowe, head of the Nile, and he tells her that the Nile are going to be the end of the Jedi. But we'll see about that, mister. The first question I wanted to pose was, is Des the greatest Jedi of all time, or is he just the <laughs> coolest Jedi of all time? I, I liked him. I, I don't know that I fell in love with him the way you did. I totally. The did. issue is we all know who <laughs> the coolest Jedi of all time is. Is he the coolest Jedi not named Plo Koon? Okay. Well, now that we've added that caveat, <laughs> let me think about it. I'm not wrong, right? Did you guys notice that the relationship was very similar to Avaros in... 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which was the last Claudia Gray book we read. So she's really took that template and she's like, this is what it's like. And it really just felt to me like Tim Drake in in Dick Grayson. I was a little snarky, but I do it out of love because this book was awesome. Uh, I I, I thought so. One thing that these books are doing really well, and, and I've talked about this on other books, like on Alphabet Squadron, I had a hard time, still do with Alphabet Squadron, really, truly caring about the characters. I don't know why that is. They just, it's not that they're bad characters. I've just never really locked in with any of them. The majority, I'd say, of the High Republic characters I'm already in love with. And I already see more of. I want to see more of the ones that we don't that are that are dead. I want to see more of the ones when they're I already want to see prequels and sequels and spin-offs. Like I'm already liking all of these characters, and this book is full of them. And you can tell they're shooting characters off left and right and seem to have a lot of plans for certain ones. Like I, we didn't talk about it. We talked about the last book, the children's one. But the girl, what's the young one? What's the girl's name in that one? I get them mixed up. Appy's in this one. Avon. Avon is already starring in another book. I want to see more of Cole Mac. I thought he was really interesting. I didn't quite get his trauma. It felt like 25 years he could have gotten over his master yeah. dying. It was a little much. But I think they were trying to say, too, that he... It's not just that. Like, he is really sensitive to the Force, I guess. He's a, he's the most sensitive Jedi. And <laughs> the things around him really, like, affect him. No, I, and I get that. I just... The one thing I was kind of disappointed in in the book was those flashbacks. I felt like there were only, like, four of them five of them there were very few i didn't feel like they added anything to the story really no that that was my bigger problem i know you had a issue with the the guild stuff with the the hobo signals but i just didn't feel like the flashbacks changed much or added much for me although i do want to see something about orla and her wayfinding adventures in the future yeah i really like this the idea of these wayfinder jedi that i guess just go live on their own they're still kind of jedi but They don't have to follow the order anymore. Yeah, they're Ronin, basically, right? They're just out there like Kane in Kung Fu, as as Jules would say. And I'm also interested in how she keeps her robes stark white all the time. Because they kept bringing it up. They're like, (laughs) she's not dirty at all. How is she not dirty? Yeah, the space station is basically like a big garden. There's dirt everywhere. Ancient Jedi secret. (laughs) This is not the first time we've seen this station. It is not. This is where Kylo Ren met Snoke. And we saw it in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic written by Charles Soule. Yeah. And I, it took me a while to remember that. Like I was like reading it and reading it and trying to picture it. And I was like, this sounds real familiar. And then I looked it up and yep, there it was. And I'm glad I looked it up. It looked different than what I was picturing in my mind at first, but it made more sense yeah. once I saw the picture. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked up on that in, until you said something. Yeah. Like you, you, you said that and I was like, oh, OK. And I had even forgotten that, like, when we meet Snoke in that book, he's like Dr. Moreau chilling out in the gardens. <laughs> like He's got this weird ass hat on and stuff. It's really bizarre to see like casual Snoke. Yeah, that's what you kind of see. And I went back to like look at the comic and see if maybe the plants you can see behind if they were, you know, if you could kind of see they were dingy or whatever. But it doesn't look like it. 
my guess it was kind of like Sewell had done that and then they were like, hey, uh, we need a station. Hey, I got one. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And then... Yeah. In the comic, Snoke does say that this place was built to hold back the darkness. Right. Yeah, he does say something about it. He basically makes a direct reference to this story. Mm-hmm. I, I hate it. I wish I hadn't... You know, before High Republic came out, kind of the only things they showed was a couple of the designs for the Nile and then they showed the Dingier. I wish I hadn't seen it because the minute they walked in the garden, I was like, and there they are. Like, cause I knew I was completely blindsided by the evil plant. Creatures. <laughs> I felt like they were just a convenient plot device. Like, Hey, where's this evil? Oh, let's hide it in plain sight. But then traveling through hyperspace to angry Ent slash Audrey two planet was just weird to me. See, I like that stuff. That stuff reminded me of like Knights of the Old Republic, you know, with like the, let's say the Rakata and these ancient civilizations and stuff. I remember during, I think, our Dragon Con episode with Dave, Ryan, one of the things you said you missed about the new canon was it wasn't weird enough. Oh, absolutely. This book got a little weird. Yeah, it totally did. It was great. I hope that all the little hyperspace pods aren't destroyed or they bring some back. Because I think it opens up like kind of a cool, like, yeah, we can just go shooting somewhere and see what happens. Yeah, that was interesting that, that they, they had this hyperspace pod system that could deliver like, it was still kind of vague because you kind of just have to be when you're writing about stuff like that, but they can deliver like one or two people to almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how hyperspace works now, but um, nobody still knows. But yeah, he does destroy them all because like they say like, no, you can't send an army through, but you can send two people through to take down a shield generator. But all you have to do is steal a shuttle and lie to take down a shield generator. We've seen that before. Keep your distance though, Chewie, but don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. Well, and I think it was, because if I guess if you're going through hyperspace, you know, you can just all of a sudden pop out right there in this little bitty pod. And they were like, yeah, you can put some saboteurs in it or whatever. And all I was thinking was, pack that thing full of thermal detonators. Like, you can (laughs) essentially shoot bombs across, you know, the universe. I think they do end up mentioning that, too, that they could put explosives in it. So what did we think of our, our, our hero? I guess Wreath would be our lead, right? He's just a point of view character, I think. I mean, he's fine. I liked him. Yeah, I kind of like the nerdy, I just want to research Jedi. Well, you mentioned it last week, right? We're in an era where it seems like they're encouraging Jedi, that, like specialty Jedi. Yeah. There's a lot more specialty Jedi and that, you know, he's Jocasta New, right? <laughs> he's a guy that's probably better off in the uh, in the library. I mean, dude has his own study carol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just imagine, did it have a nameplate on it? I did find out in this book that apparently no one in in the Star Wars world had written anything by hand in hundreds of years. Yeah. That was stupid. That was an odd one. I know they all have data pads and they all have all this stuff, but you're telling me not one person has just written something down in all this time? That's ridiculous. So much so that when they see handwriting, they're like, weird. (laughs) handwriting and they draw like hieroglyphics for some reason at that point yeah like it's not an arabesque she's trying to decipher them because what could this be it must be ancient languages no it's only 15 years how could it only be 10 to 15 years old oh my god have you not watched mad men it's don (laughs) draper's hobo code i still don't know what the point of that was like okay i get you go there and you do something vaguely hard and illegal and you 
get your years taken off or paid more. But what were they doing? Like, I don't know. I didn't understand it at all, actually. I mean, I'm beyond like, that's my one big problem with the book is I had, I did not understand what the dilemma, I get the fact that they basically were using slave labor, indentured servitude, they didn't want to make them slaves. So they called them indentured servants. They even say in the book, like, they're not as bad as slaves. And you're like, "Eh, all right, you're splitting hairs here. But that she's using these indentured servants that her she's shocked that her mom is using why they were going to the station what benefit was happening at the station what was you know because because i mean i made fun of it but like the whole idea she finds that her parents were killed at that station because they were trying to work off their debt uh by doing something dangerous i never figured out what that dangerous thing was i kept waiting for them to be like yeah they get those hyperspace pods and like shoot somewhere and do something crazy but it never paid off yeah, so I have I have no idea what that means, um, what any of that meant. Well, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of Scover, so um, maybe at some point she'll have a confrontation with Nan, or no, Affy. Nan's the Nile. It's Nan the Nile. I know, but the two little girls, uh, roughly the same age, doing the same stuff, confused me. Yeah, but Nan had blue hair. And she didn't hang out with a rock. Okay, let's talk about Geode. <laughs> Sell me on him, because I thought it was, I didn't. I didn't like it. Sell me on it. I cannot. And it was funny because I was before we started, I was looking over some of the Amazon reviews and everybody was like, oh, my God, Geo's the funniest character. Geo's the greatest character. Like, but but how and why? It's just a rock and it doesn't do anything, but they talk about it like it's alive. I mean, for, for the longest time, I thought they were just trying to punk everybody. Like, we're, well, we're going to trick them all into thinking this rock's alive. I would have bought into it if at the very end it was totally like a grift that they were doing. And like... Some, they were doing something sketchy to get all these codes and do whatever. Like, that's what I thought was coming. And then it was, nope, Rock sure is alive. <laughs> but here's the problem. Once the Rock is alive at the end, she doesn't explain it. Yeah. She doesn't say what he looks like. She doesn't say, like, he's got arms and legs. She doesn't say anything about the how the Rock is presented at the end. The Rock that, like, can move and travel and saves his life. And they even mention and don't doesn't. Um, sorry, his name is really awkward. Leo. Leox. He even uh, Leox, I guess. Leox. He actually says like, oh, no, he's gotten loose, you know, like basically kind of like, I don't know, Benicio del Toro, Dana Sicario or something it was <laughs> like like they, they had unleashed geode on them and they were in trouble now. It felt hacky to me because once or twice the kind of like geode didn't respond. Jokes are OK, but there were so many of them so many jokes or just kind of little implied cute moments about them saying something to geode and then responding to him like he said something that it just got on my nerves i would have much preferred it if like at the end when he shows up to save wreath he kind of just unfolds into like the rock biter from never ending story and all of a sudden he he really is a thing that can do stuff instead of just a rock that shows up places and that's what I thought he was like that's when that moment happened. That's what I imagined in my head. But then I read it and none of that's there. I was like, well, that's the only way this can happen. Right. Eventually. Yeah, he's this he's this turtle rock creature thing. And all it says is geodes there. And you're like, please describe him <laughs> and how he's there and why he's there. I just kind of pictured him as this like about five foot tall pillar. that's just magically there all of a sudden. I don't know. I felt very disconnected. Like I, I was ex- exactly like you. I was waiting for the grift, the joke, or I was waiting for him to, you know, be a transformer. Yeah. And neither of those things happened. And it just it felt too cute. It was like too cute by half. Yeah, that's something that belongs in the eight to ten year old book. Less murder, more cute rocks. <laughs> 
Yeah, but he's not even a cute rock. Like, there's nothing. He has no personality. He has nothing. He's like snake eyes, but he's a rock. <laughs> like, it's just it's a very bizarre choice. That character. I get where the like initial joke is coming from, but then you stretch that joke for the entire book and the payoff is like, oh, no, he he's he's just yeah, he just shows up at the end to save the day to mm-hmm. save our hero. Well, and he helps Orla pick out a ship. Yeah. How? He just does. You don't need to know how. Her description of him was too vague. He was just a rock. That's all I can get from it. It was very strange. Did we know when it started off that Nan was a Nile or had I just forgotten and therefore were surprised? No, it's definitely supposed to be a twist. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with it, too, because it's not like it was out of left field. Like once the reveal happened, I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's what she is. Yeah, it was a, it was a twist, but it still it was a twist that made sense. It wasn't like an M. Night Shyamalan thing where it was like, huh? Or I saw it coming the entire time. It was, oh, now here's the reasons why that makes sense. Inevitable in retrospect. Yes. Right. For a minute there, it almost felt like Battlestar Galactica, where it was mm-hmm. like these different groups of people were having to hide out in this space station and stuff and, and having to deal with like supplies and who gets what food and everything. We found a new race of beings that look like Gamorians, but are worse. <laughs> and are like pink kind of. I was like, yeah, that's, that's gross sounding. Actually look like pigs, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were just setting it up. So if they ran out of food. <laughs> so did you think Des was dead? No, no. The only reason I thought he might have been dead was because of Light of the Jedi killing Jorah. And killing that other Jedi, I don't remember her name, that dies as well in the in the when she's in her, her vector. So I thought maybe we're so early in that they can do that with some of these characters that we're not too attached to. But I had somehow got like I said I'd gotten attached to him because he felt like he he had the the energy I wanted Anakin to have. He was to me like a more compassionate or maybe just not as battle hardened version of like Rail Avaros that we got. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just enjoyed him. Now, here's. A little bit of controversy, some news that I saw this week. Maybe it was old news. George Lucas said that Jedi actually do have sex. They just can't have relationships. The first person who puts up a brothel a block away from the Jedi Temple is a, is going to make a ton of money. <laughs> if all the Jedi can do is have meaningless sex, I'm opening up a brothel two doors down. Except they're not going to make any money because it's going to be nothing but you gave that to me for free with a hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was never here. Yeah. You were never here. <laughs> yeah i just it just but this book actually has the flat out discussion about jedi having sex yeah like literally says do you guys have sex and i felt kind of weird about that in the book i was <laughs> like whoa hold on star wars we don't we don't just come out and talk about that we all infer and... it's totally implied <laughs> yeah even even the jedi who are having sex still don't you know just talk about it yeah obi-wan had the decency just to slyly talk about it E.K. Johnson's got girls having periods here. We're talking about sex like Star Wars is growing up. (laughs) There was a really weird scene in this book. I felt with uh, Leox and Affy about why her stepmom put her on his ship. Yeah, because he doesn't like sex. Yeah, Yeah. he's, he's basically asexual. But that was still an awkward conversation to read. And at one point, they clearly say the other race was going to take Nanda sex trade her yeah it kind of read into that scene that we were what gray was was doing was trying to kind of trying to kind of dabble into a world of kind of Mm non-binary people uh you know people that are that are not even asexual asexual non-sexual people 
because you know the character like he says like no i've had sex before but i just didn't dig it he doesn't have that drive so i was like oh at first i was like oh is he a eunuch like is that what we're getting at you know but no it was just yeah i just don't dig on sex so your mom thought you'd be safe with me i bet he has sex with that rock <laughs> yeah but he probably you're right he probably does have sex with that rock um, <laughs> Yeah, what about the spice? The spice never paid off either. Well, I mean, it paid off in the fact that he used it for medicinal purposes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Leox has got like, he's got like a weed card. <laughs> well, and I like at one point they go up there and he's just chewing on a spice stick, getting high. And I was like, ah, finally, real spice runners. Yes. <laughs> I finally understand more about spice now, damn it. But I guess what I was confused about, were they, were they smuggling it? Or was that just his? Because they say at the beginning, like, do they know about the other thing that's on board? No, I think it was spice. Like they're they were smuggling spice with the Jedi on board. Okay. All right. That's what that's what I that's what I thought. I was just I thought that was a little vague because it never really came around. Like eventually the Jedi were like, hey, you got spice. Eh, I'm not gonna do anything about it. <laughs> well, at what point Orla sees it? Yeah. Orla says, I was going into mine. Yeah. It happens off screen though. It happens off screen. Orla just walks in and go, hey, I uh, wandered into that other room that apparently you didn't have locked and uh, I saw the spice. Oh, so this whole time they've been on the ship, they just could have just walked into that room <laughs> and accidentally run into the spice like lock a door, man. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you use the product you're selling. Lesson number two, don't get high in your own supply. So, you know, we kind of hit on this last week, but I think they are clearly laying out where all this is going. Well, and not necessarily where it's going, but what the theme of the High Republic is going to be, and kind of like you talked about earlier, how it leads into our prequel Jedi. And I actually marked a quote in this one, because I think they let Grey pretty much let it out. So this is towards the very end. So Master Comic side, the darkness is as much as part of the Force as the light. The Order thinks it can bisect the Force so neatly as though a primal living energy of all existence were a thing to be sliced and served. Reef took a moment to consider and said, doesn't that separation keep us safe? Does it, Master Comic said, or does the divide only make the darkest darkner, darkness darker, more dangerous than it ever would have been in the state of nature? I think that is what the High Republic is about to be all about. Unity. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they are cutting off everything but what they consider the light i think they're going to use part of the high republic to fix later stuff all the stuff with the chosen one the balance of the force you know force awakens all that business kind of all starts here i mean do we know how old the prophecy is it's got to be older than 200 years right has to be yeah because it's in that holocron because there are no jedi mystics at this time well the jedi these jedi aren't really down for it Right. They don't really love the whole future scene. I mean, they get a couple of like flashes when they're in the station of warnings, basically. Right. Little images. And at one point in the last book, they said we don't do that. That looking into the future is, you know, tempting the dark side and all that. Right. And, you know, I think this book, Orla talks a lot about denying her instincts and the Jedi telling her not to follow her instincts, that the Force is telling her what to do, and they're telling her, nope, that's not what you do. That's her regret from the flashbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Is that... Yeah. Her, that her instinct told her to do one thing, but her training taught her to, told her to do something else. She went with her training, and someone got killed. Yeah, yeah, one of the hostages died because she did what 
the order taught her to do. Except for the death of that hostage ended up ending the war between these two worlds and created a, an era of peace. So, yeah. eh, well, you know, it, it worked out in the end. But... <laughs> I mean, not for the guy. Not for the guy. Not for the monarch. But yeah. uh, everybody else, it worked out okay. But you're right, though. The, the, um, the fact that she's told by the force to make a force whip in the other book, right? You know, that, that everyone said that that scene is a is a is a dark side thing i don't know i don't exactly know why yeah i don't either i didn't understand that throwing your lightsaber used to be considered a dark side thing but now it's not yeah people have been pushing this idea of a gray jedi forever right this this concept of a gray you know everyone thought and that's maybe kind of what they got at the end of rise of skywalker is kind of a gray jedi you know yeah we don't know because they're never going to tell us any more stories <laughs> about Rey after that. But if they did, I think you would see her more as a gray Jedi. This concept is like, I don't know, man. Like, I get it. I understand. But I've also, you know, a new hope is still, you know, God for me. So there's a dark side and a light side, you know? I think there can still be a dark side and a light side. But I think we're going to start to see that the prequel Jedi are more or less like fundamentalists yeah. that they have locked out everything except what they think is the light. And they start to dress alike and they start to, you know, do all this other stuff. And because of that, it allows the darkness to take over because they start to deny. I mean, that's a lot of like, I think that's why I think that's Colmix big problem. You know, you talked about earlier kind of why he was like that. I mean, they kind of say his master got killed on that ship and he wasn't allowed to grieve. Yes, that's true. It's like he's not allowed to grieve and he feels guilty because he feels this way and he shouldn't. There's a lot of that in all these books. Mm -hmm. I think the the idea that when someone close to you dies, a master, a pupil, a father, that you're supposed to suck it up if you're a Jedi. Right. That's something that multiple characters have a problem with in right. these books. You know, Wreath doesn't handle it very well when his master dies. Comac doesn't when who was his master's name? Semix? Semix? Yes. When he dies, who he was like a lizard thing without arms. He's like a snake. I will admit that I kind of laughed out loud when I figured when they told us the reason he died is because he was a snake creature and he couldn't fit. He didn't he couldn't fit to the restraints properly when yeah. they crashed. <laughs> but what they're talking about are, are fundamental. They're not just things about the prequel era, right? These are fundamental things about the Jedi presently too, right? The the lack of attachment. The not mourning. These aren't these aren't things that are reflecting upon what the Jedi are going to be. It's what they are now. But they're starting to question them. Yeah, I think they're starting to question them. And the Jedi are going to take a hard right <laughs> and be like, well, we're going to cut it all off. And then you end up with Anakin killing younglings. Like, I know it's not a big deal, but something that struck out to me is why they keep why do they keep mentioning how clean Orla is in her white robes? And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Why are all these Jedi dressed so fancy all the time when Jedi uh, that we have previously seen in modern times or, you know, more modern times dress like vagabonds? They all got these crappy robes that are brown and they all dress alike. I mean, they have nice boots, but that's about it. So do they go so fundamental? They're taking vows of poverty or some crap. Yeah, that's what Ryan's kind of thinking. Because they have more individuality. They're allowed more individuality now, and that even comes out in the way they dress. Well, and this is the first time I can't... And I remember seeing one of these books. Orla talks about the Jedi getting paid. She gets paid to be a Jedi. Oh, I missed that. I didn't notice that either. That's how she gets her starship. She says, right. I use my stipend. I saved my money. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense. They have to have some credits. So she's been saving up her petty cash, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, but she's, they're getting paid. Her per diem. Yeah. Uh, if you stay with the Jedi, man, how much, I wonder how much per diem Yoda's racked up. 
For real. <laughs> like, I would have retired three or four hundred years ago. <laughs> to me, it's a more mature deconstruction of the Force and everything than we got in the sequels. You know, where, where they tried to talk about that line, and like you said, you know, is, is, is Ray someone that looks past the light and the dark, whatever. But like in this, it's a much more mature point of view or much more mature, mature discussion about this. This is a very well thought out theory about the force that they're Mm -hmm. testing in this and thought well thought out ideas. You know, I think the hyperspace stuff is still a little loose. Maybe we'll find out more about it, but but probably not. But it's (laughs) probably not. It's it's just hyperspace. This take on the force is something that we're going to be examining pretty heavily throughout these books. This isn't really about the Republic at all. The High Republic isn't about the High Republic. That's just the setting. The High Republic is the story about the, the history of the Jedi. And we may see Republic books, you know, down the line. You know, they've never really said how big the High Republic initiative is. We don't know. Well, I'm fine with that. They've, I mean, they've, they've established that we have an actual functioning Republic. So, you know, I'm good. We can go from there. I, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time learning about how well the Republic is working. Well, there are three phases of it, right? There's basically like, this is like the first chapter and then there's like two more chapters coming, but that does not mean it's the end of it. I mean, I believe the book hit the New York Times bestseller list, uh, The Light of the Jedi did. Mm -hmm. People's reactions to it have been really good. So I can't imagine them ending that era. Right. You know, just saying, oh, never mind. When people are going like, I'd really like a Jorah novel. Something like that. I'll, I'll read about Des meditating for th- for 30 years on a planet somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And we don't know how big these phases are either. Like, I don't yeah. know if like just this and the last book are phase one and then Rising Storm and Out of the Shadows are phase two or I don't. I was under the impression that the phases were kind of based on the anchor books, like the, the adult novels. So Rising Storm would start the next phase. But I don't know. They're not Kevin Feige. They don't communicate it quite as clearly. <laughs> yeah. You could write hundreds of books just about Wayseeker Jedis. Just make one up. There's some Jedi that's like using their Jedi powers to open a megastore. Like, that's what they've (laughs) chosen to do. I'd read it. And I think you're going to see a comic that's just about a Wayfarer at some point. You know, maybe even maybe even Orla. We see a story with Orla kind of just walking the earth. You know, Um, there's stories to be told before this. There's stories to be told in the cracks. I think the Nile are getting interesting enough now where i'm in, i'm really starting to get into their stories as well i'm just hoping that it's not just like hey here's here's the three things and then we're done with it i hope it becomes a living breathing section that will forever be relevant to go back and tell stories in right that would be the the best thing to me is that like i hope in five years from now we're like hey there's a new high republic book coming out mm-hmm. maybe it's been like two years since we had one but hey they're doing a new high republic book because it's just an era that we can now play in Mm-hmm. I also thought Claudia Gray did a much better job with the Great Disaster. It seemed to me much more of a disaster and mess than Light of the Jedi. In Light of the Jedi, it kills billions of people. It does, but for some reason, the way she wrote it. But we don't. She, we don't. But we don't see it in here. Well, but they kind of talk about it. You know, they're in hyperspace and it's red and purple, and they say like hyperspace is sick. I don't know. For some reason, like, I'm more interested. I wish they kind of was stuck with that instead of just like, hey, every once in a while a piece of space junk shoots out. Like, I, I wish it was a little more disastery. Like, yeah, hyperspace is really jacked up right now. You can't go anywhere. They might shoot you out somewhere. Well, I think we don't see a lot of that in Light of the Jedi because a lot of people aren't using it in Light of the Jedi, right? It's That's true. Down. 
for most of the book, it's shut down. So what we have is a unique perspective, not a unique perspective. I mean, there's a lot of ships in hyperspace at, at any given time, but like we have the perspective of someone that like almost ran into the legacy run <laughs> right, and pulled out just in time. And here's something I thought about reading this one that I didn't think of a line of the Jedi. If we now know that you can cause this much damage by dropping junk in hyperspace, why is everybody not being like, and dump the trash and just <laughs> completely jack up everybody everywhere? I'm hoping we get some explanation as to what tames hyperspace. Now, I did think when I thought that too, like, why don't they just jump stuff? I mean, Imperial protocol is, you know, you jump, drop your garbage before you go. So maybe they make some like laws or who knows what it is. You're absolutely right. Maybe it is that they dump their they dump their trash before they go to light speed because if you dump it while you're at light speed it can have unforeseen consequences that is the whole purpose of the higher public is to explain that one part <laughs> to explain the one scene of the falcon yeah <laughs> i mean why not right like sure uh, you know, i mean it, if I, I imagine if you're a star destroyer you've got a lot of junk as we saw it's not like you know your your starfighters just got you know like you're probably your like uh urine container yeah. or whatever. besides that but a star destroyer is gonna have a lot of that so yeah you don't want to just drop that off in hyperspace you never know if it's gonna show up you know so you're right it could it could become a regulation yeah that's how the writers room started for the higher public <laughs> claudia gray was like y'all remember that scene in the empire strikes <laughs> back when they dumped the garbage why did they do that <laughs> and then High Republic. <laughs> Three years later, High Republic. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's not too far-fetched, actually. But <laughs> Did anyone say, may the force be with you in Light of the Jedi? Not that I recall. Because I, I was going into this book because I don't believe they did. And then I was about halfway through this book and someone finally said it. I think at one point in this book, and I was like, Oh, they do. I was like, oh, I guess they do use the phrase. I was kind of hoping they didn't use the phrase yet. Yeah, I've seen it. I couldn't remember if it was in this book or one of the comics, but they start to say it and they get cut off. That was in that happened in the in the adventure Star Wars Adventures number one. But there was also a time where somebody says it in this. I think Wreath says it or or Comac says it to Wreath. Comac says it to Wreath before Wreath goes back down to uh, crank up the shield generator. He tells he said he says it, but I think that's the first time in the High Republic that someone said that, which I thought was interesting. Like I, I was ho I, I was ho hoping against hope that maybe it was like, you know, it was just like, I don't know, it was a slang from our time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like the phrase hadn't caught on yet, you know. They hadn't made it happen. <laughs> right? Yes, they hadn't. Fetch hadn't happened yet, <laughs> but. Oh, oh! Can I interrupt? Breaking news. Gina Carano is no longer part of Star Wars. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Lucasfilm quote, she is no longer employed by Lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Keep your stupid mouth shut. Who could have seen that coming? Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> we did an hour ago. <laughs> Literally an hour ago, we talked about that exact thing happening. Wow. You know, you know, it's not not to derail it, but like you just everyone is exactly 100 percent entitled to believe what they believe. But your your words have consequences. Yep. And wow. freedom of speech is not freedom from consequence. Anybody listening this far? I mean, I, I, I slammed Lou Dobbs earlier. Anybody knows this far knows what you know, how we think about these things. But like 
if someone is spouting hate or, or bigotry of some sort, if they are, you have the right not to do business with them. I'm a little on tilt today because uh, one of my heroes is getting uh, his ass shredded online, rightfully so today, and being basically canceled at this very moment. And he deserves it, but I'm a little on tilt because of it. Um, and Hollywood is, and America is, by the way, a center left country. And Hollywood is a very left leaning industry. They're not going to tolerate that after a while, you know? If they have to choose between Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano, even though Pedro Pascal is only in like two episodes a year, um, if they have to choose between them, they're, they're going to pick Pedro Pascal. And yeah. here's what I don't understand about her and I don't understand about J.K. Rowling. Just shut up. Yeah. You know. You know how people feel about this. You may feel, you may feel the way you feel, and that's fine. I can, I can dislike you for it as much as I want to. That's fine. But just from a strategic standpoint, from a business standpoint, Shut the hell up. Why bother? What What good? I, I'll never understand the J.K. Rowling thing. She's worth billions. I don't even know why she has a Twitter account. Ha! Why would I? I would never have. I would have a Twitter account if I had billions of dollars. And then she's going to use that to go on there and try to nullify people and offend, you know, and, and basically break the hearts of an entire generation of kids who felt like outsiders that grew up watching, that grew up feeling less like outsiders because of her her stuff and then have her turn around on them like, I don't understand why you say anything. Gina Carano knows. She knows she's been on notice. She's been on restriction. She knows that. And she still keeps talking. Well, hopefully the MMA is hiring her back because otherwise she's not going to have a career anymore. So good luck, sucker. I think she's terrible as an actor. So I don't care. I've, I've been very vicious to her as, a, as an actor. And I don't. The only time I've ever enjoyed her was in Deadpool. And guess what? She doesn't talk yeah. in that movie. Um, yeah. So like, it's not. And I guess she was okay in Fast and the Furious, but I think she says like two things in that whole movie. Good riddance from my point of view. It's it's sad. I wish it hadn't happened like this. Cara Dune is a cool character. I, I wonder, was she supposed to be on that? We, we talked about this when they announced Rangers of the Old Republic. Yeah. Or Rangers of the New Republic and whether or not that was her show. We thought it was going to be her, but guess not now. And And she was not mentioned at all. Well, she was already being way too controversial even then. Yeah. What's I'm saying? Like she's been on. I mean, they've they've. They must have warned her before this. Oh, yeah. You have to look at the bigger picture. Disney was Disney was the first of the major studios. You, Disney, Listen, Disney's a big, big evil corporation. Of course they are. But Disney was the first major studio to give same-sex partners health insurance to their employees. Disney theme parks would hold, you know, gay pride celebrations every year. You know, people would protest that they'd be like, F off, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, Disney's always been... At least recently, well, not always been. We won't go all the way back to Walt, yeah. but modern day, modern day Disney <laughs> is has always been, you know, a tad progressive. And so, if you're going to work for them, what you can't be doing is standing up on their platform, being one of their stars, spouting hate and intolerance. Shut your you right wing nut job mouth. <laughs> that too. <laughs> That's rough for her, but like she was warned, you know. Like, yeah. My guess is they they had hoped to do it quietly. The new shows would roll around and she just wouldn't be on them. And that wouldn't be a big deal. But because more of a fracas with Pedro Pascal and her points of view and stuff that they had, they felt they had to make a. Well, and it started trending on Twitter yesterday again. Fire Gina Carano. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one bit of news I saw real quick, not to jump on it, is that I, I saw, I think I saw a bit of news where it said that all of the Ahsoka show is going to be directed by Filoni and Favreau. Ooh. Oh, is it? I haven't heard that. Yeah, I saw that. Like, uh, yeah, that, like I wouldn't be episode, surprised. <laughs> that like every episode is going to be by Filoni or Favreau. Yeah, Filoni's not going to let her go anywhere without him. 
So the the riddle of the Kyber Bridge is that no Jedi goes across it alone because they need each other? That's what I got from it. Yeah. That he was supposed to realize, like... I mean, I know this is YA, but, like... I think it's, like, all the Jedi before you, you're never alone, blah, blah, blah. He he is all the Jedi. Exactly. I severely doubt Wreath's intelligence now. That he didn't instantly understand the answer to that. Yeah, for a dude that's, like, solving history's, like, riddles. He was overthinking it. <laughs> yeah, he He's a, a scholar, he's yeah. overthinking it. He was thinking it was actually a riddle. Yeah. Gray did find, like, she did create some kind of new stuff, right? Like, yes, we've seen the Sith um, temple before, or at least heard about it. But this idea of this planet where the Jedi go just to meditate. Mm-hmm. This bridge that they use, this this bridge of ky- kyber crystals of all the fallen Jedi. These are all things that we've never seen or heard of in the temple before. But I, mm-hmm. I unlike you, do not want to visit Des on the meditation planet. Sorry. I'll go. That's fine. <laughs> I'll write that book. You know what else I really liked? Well, not like, but I thought it was silly. They finally talked about why the Jedi can't fly. And the reason basically was, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they like bring it up. or like, well, they've often considered why we can lift and move things, but not lift ourselves. It's a mystery. And they just moved <laughs> on. And I was like, hold up now. <laughs> So we kind of we've got these three books and a, and a few of the comics. I don't know um, if you guys caught up on the comics yet. I don't know if there's really much to say about them. I, it, the comic I like the the main Marvel comic is good, but it is those same themes though of grief and if you don't express your feelings, it, things go badly. Well, com- the comics seem to be about like skiers in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, skiers in a bad place. Because the lead of the books, oh God, what's her name? I don't remember. Oh, no, it's uh, it rhymes with Sheev. Keeve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember that it rhymes with Sheev. Keeve, who I do believe is one of the, or the, or at least her last name is on the list of the uh, missing 20. There is a, there is one of the Jedi, young Jedi we've met is on the, the missing, the, the fallen 20 or the lost 20 or whatever. It was either Vern or Keeve. I think it's Keeve. Editor's note. In Dooku Jedi Lost, amongst the statues of the Lost 20, there was a Jedi named Trennis. Keeve's last name is Trennis. We have no idea if Keeve ends up leaving the Order or a descendant of Keeve or something like that, but they do have the same last name. And Kevin Scott, who wrote Dooku Jedi Lost, is one of the key architects of High Republic. So, you know, you do the math. Skier's going a little Anakin in the comics right now. Yeah, he's got PTSD from losing that arm. He lost an arm. Give him a break. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's he hasn't quite murdered a whole camp of Tuscans, but he ain't that far off from doing it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's kind of where they're going in the comic, because I think the comic is, it looks like to be, and I, I like this, but more of a, a more traditional Jedi story, in a way, about a Jedi that's quite possibly falling to the dark side. Maybe it's why we never see any more Trandoshan in the future. The Jedi get real racist about it. <laughs> and then there's the Star Wars Adventures comic from who makes that? Is that IDW? Yeah. And um, which I still I still don't I still can't quite understand how IDW has this one Star Wars license to do Star Wars kids comics. Oh, they have um, some other licenses from Marvel 2 for kids comics. Marvel kind of basically said, yeah, we don't want to do that anymore. You can just do all those for us. Oh, it's just because Marvel doesn't want to make kids books. Pretty much. It is about 
I mean, it has it seems to have a a couple of lead characters in the first book, uh, one girl who's a Padawan and another who it looks like she's going to be um, who has who is force sensitive, but uh, and nobody else knows it. And I kind of felt that they were leaning towards that they might be a dyad. Yeah, because they talk about like, I've never felt this before. One of them yeah. all of a sudden can do other stuff. And the structure of it is that at least so far, is that the the Jedi are, it's about Yoda's ship, I forget the name of it, the ship that Yoda is taking around the galaxy teaching his younglings. And I, I, I think, at least for the beginning of the series, you know, these series sometimes, like, aren't super serialized all the time, the Star Wars adventures, so I don't know if they're planning on this to be one big story. They're not like uh, Anakin killing younglings, they're more teenager younglings, and uh, kind of hanging out with Yoda and him taking them on adventures and stuff. And, but yes, there seems to be this story about this, these two girls um, and their connection in the force or something like that. But I, I thought it was good. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. But so we've got all this. When's the next time we check in with the High Republic outside of comics? Uh, Kevin Scott's book doesn't come out until June, right? Yeah, that's the next one. If this is phase one, chapter one, whatever they want to call it, I'm very pleased. Yeah. Yeah, me too. This is what I wanted, man. No, no pressure, no stress, not worried about toxic fanboys living in a whole nother era, watching Jedi do cool Jedi shit. Speaking of uh, cool Jedi doing amazing things and being being good and powerful and all about the light. Beth, what are we reading next week? (laughs) Oh, next week we are doing we are revisiting our old friend James Lucino and we will be doing is it just Dark Lord or is it Vader? Dark Lord. Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader. Yes, that one. Which is a Legends book. It is very much a Legends book, but I figured it's been a while since we visited some Legends, so let's let's take a step back and... Yeah, we're going to hit a couple Legends books yeah. in the next few episodes. Take a little stopover for some Alphabet Squadron. As I say, by the time this comes out, I will almost have Victory Prize. More Admiral Sloan and the Alphabet Squadron. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for... Uh, this heated discussion tonight and uh thank you everyone for tuning in we will talk to you all soon you have been listening to a needless things podcast you can follow needless things on facebook twitter instagram and at needlessthingspodcast.com love you mean it Uh uh-huh roger roger